With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage... All the way to the, we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. You're listening to the Red Seat Podcast, part of the Over the Monster Network. Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Hosted by Jake Devereaux. And featuring Keaton DeRocher. It's a grand slam! I'm telling you, it's time to party! Welcome back to the Red Seat Podcast. This is your host, Jake Devereaux, and today I am joined for episode 215 by my regular co-host, Keaton DeRocher of Over the Monster. Uh, Keaton, I introduce you as my regular co-host, but I feel like there's nothing regular about you. How are you, buddy? (laughs) Um, So does that mean like I'm irregular or I'm just extraordinary? It means you're extraordinary. Wonderful. We'll take it. (laughs) <laughs> I figured, you know, we can all use some compliments sometimes, Keaton. So there you go. Yeah. Um, all right. So on today's episode of the show, we have a good one for you. We are going to be talking about your first place Red Sox. We're going to be diving into some roster crunch issues that might be arising in the future. We're going to talk a little prospects, Jared Durant, Tristan Casas. And uh, then we're going to dive into the bullpen and talk some Martin Perez in the starting rotation. And then we'll get to your listener questions. So we've got a very full show today. Let's start off with the roster, Keaton. So uh, Jonathan Arreus was just sent down. It looks like Kike Hernandez is going to be activated from the IL. Uh, He had a couple bombs at Worcester uh, on Sunday. Uh, It seems like the man is ready. Yeah. A grand slam that um, Remy referenced several times on the broadcast on Sunday. <laughs> I was very excited about that. Um, I guess it'll be kind of interesting to see. I'm assuming he's going to go back into the leadoff spot. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, that seems to be the spot where, where Cora has been most comfortable playing him this year. Um, you know, there's some, I don't know what the internal metrics say for the Red Sox, and I know that it is Kind of commonplace to have your best hitter uh, hit second, um, which is where Verdugo has been hitting. And I don't think anybody would say that Verdugo is the best hitter on the team. He's a very good hitter, but the three guys behind him are probably better. Um, It is an interesting alignment that they've chosen to go with, with sort of a rotating member of the cast, whether it be a Marwin or whether it be a Kike or whether it be... You know, uh, Michael Chavis. Yeah, it's just this odd collection of people uh, batting leadoff. What do you make of that, if anything? Um, We probably read too much into it, I suppose. And that um, squarely is just looking myself in the mirror. So I've written uh, two articles and two consecutive seasons about how uh, who should lead off for the Red Sox. Um, It only matters for one at bat, right? And then 
it's irrelevant the rest of the game. <laughs> so, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe that 2 through 5 makes more sense in their metrics and it doesn't necessarily matter who's there in the leadoff spot. It's just, um, you know, it's a lot of emphasis on that first at-bat because if you can get the first guy on, first one to score, there's several studies, if you, I guess, suppose, call them. Um, a lot of data to suggest if you score first, your chances of winning the game are pretty high. Mm. So we can get that guy on, push him home, get a run, and cruise the rest of the game. Uh, it just feels weird to have a guy who has a bull, under 300 OBP leading off. Yeah, and I mean the other guys that they've had leading off here too, Marwin and Chavis, and some of the other guys who have rotated through that position haven't exactly posted impressive OBPs. I have to think that you know the Red Sox being a very smart organization, Heim Bloom being a very smart guy, there's probably something that we are just not seeing because on paper this strategy doesn't make any sense because over the course of a full season, the leadoff batter is going to get more at-bats than anyone else in the lineup. So, you know, it does seem a little strange to me, um, and I still don't quite understand it. So there must be something here that, you know, we're just not quite figuring out. Like maybe a pitcher, you know, wastes more pitches uh, on the first batter of the game, or I, I don't know. I don't know. It just feels like something's up there. Yeah. I suppose um, we're just kind of nitpicky, though, because they are first in the division. So it's worked. Yeah, and they are scoring more runs than, like, any team in baseball. So we can't really complain with how the offense has gone. Uh, yeah. It is pretty damn good at this point. But, um, you know, it it is worth talking about um, moving forward, like what's going to happen with this lineup when guys start getting healthy. So we're talking about, you know, Kike getting healthy and coming back into this lineup. I assume he's going to play a good amount of outfield like he's been doing in the center field position. Um, I assume there's going to be some type of playing time loser. Who is that going to be in your opinion? Oh man. Um, Franchi Cordero. Has to be, right? Yeah. I mean, he's still going to get into the rotation, I suppose, though he's the he's the one guy that um, is more limited in his positional eligibility, right? Like, Chavis could play the outfield. Arroyo's got a couple infield positions he can play. Obviously, Marwin is playing everywhere. Franchi's really kind of stuck in left. Right. So, with everybody being more flexible, it's probably him. That well, I mean, not just the flexibility, but also he sucks. Yeah. Except when I'm there. So I was at the game on Saturday uh, at Fenway. At the it was like 25 percent capacity, and they were playing the Angels, and Martin Perez was on the bump, and uh, it was Alex Verdugo's 25th birthday, and um, well, he hit a bomb. And Devers hit a bomb, and my boy Xander hit a bomb, and Franchi had two doubles during that game. So all I can think of, Keaton, is I need to go to every game in person because when I go to games, Franchi hits doubles. I mean, that's science. Yeah, it's fact. You can't argue with it at this point. What Um, if they tried Franchi in the leadoff spot? I mean, I think there's there's something to you kind of said, like maybe the starting pitcher wastes more pitches on the leadoff guy. Yeah. I think you might be right. I mean, like maybe not waste more pitches, but we'll approach a batter differently in the first at bat of the game because they don't want to walk the leadoff guy. Right. So if there's more pitches in the zone and you want to turn a guy around, maybe try Franchi there. Hey, you know what? I'm, I'd be cool with that, but it just seems like looking at the way that the lineup has shaken out over the course of the time that uh, we, we've we had um, Kike on the IL, you know, Franchi's only started three of the last six games um, in left field. So he's already kind of been on the short end with playing time. And now you add Kike to the mix and it's like, who takes a seat for him? You know, I think you probably want to play Marwin 
more than you want to play Kike. I think you probably want to play. You're you're not taking Hunter Renfro out of the lineup the way he's playing, man. Like I don't know who. You know, are you? I don't know. Bobby's it, turning it around too. Yeah, Bobby looks great recently. So with four straight starts at first base, there. I mean, I don't think you can really take him out either. No, yeah, he's probably the, the guy to go. I guess here's the other frustrating part. Aside from um, just my wholehearted belief, Verdugo should be leading off. Um, it's situational, and it's not going to come up commonly, but the game that they lost to the Angels on Sunday, yesterday, they got back to the top of the order with two outs and two on, needing a base hit to tie it. And it was Chavis mm-hmm. instead of a guy like Verdugo right? with Devers behind him and then Martinez and then Bogarts. Yeah. It's tough to yeah. turn it over and then be at Chavis who strikes out to end the game. Yeah, it is. Um, and I'm not sure, you know, how much of that is just situational luck and how the game shook out but yeah it's, right. it's tough to look at that and and feel good about it so you know this this whole thing opens up some questions uh Arreus going down was pretty obvious Kike coming up is is you know equally obvious but the Red Sox are going to have a lot more roster decisions here on the horizon as well that are worth exploring um particularly Danny Santana who we haven't seen at all this year is likely going to be uh, healthy and activated shortly, and, and, and you know you don't get a guy like that on this team um, to come in and not play. Being you know a veteran who had an excellent season in 2019 and injured in 2020, so we we think he's going to get a chance. And then Christian Arroyo, not too far away with the hand contusion, so we have to start looking at with those two guys coming back, who goes down. And this was sort of the uh, the question that. You know, Matt asked all of us as a staff uh, on Friday in the roundtable, and we all had different answers. So, you know, what what do you think is going to happen here? Do they abandon this three-man bench? Do we end up going with a four-man bench here finally? I would. Um, and that was my response, was I would go with the four-man bench, and I would get more run out of Chavis, um, which I'm sure was, was the expected answer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but if it's not, and he obviously he has options, so he can get sent down to AAA, and he can keep working on himself. And AAA is actually playing games now, so uh, he wouldn't just be, you know, on ice down there. Yeah. Um. I just I'm. I said before I'm just done with Bryce and Taylor. I guess I suppose Taylor has been better lately. Mm-hmm. Um, in his past like four or five starts. Um. Bryce is still pretty bad. I just don't. I don't need to see them anymore. So, um, if you're going to keep one of them, I suppose keep Taylor because he's hot at the moment. But he's Bryce is out of options. Taylor has two, so it's probably I would say Taylor goes down, um, and Chavis also goes down, and then they go with a four man bench of um, I suppose that would be Marwin Plowecki. Uh, Arroyo and Santana. Yeah, that's the bench I'd go with too. Uh, Marwin, Pulwecki, Arroyo, and Santana. I think that makes the most sense. You know, you can put Santana and Marwin pretty much anywhere. Arroyo can spell people defensively, start at second base. Uh, if you need him to, Pulwecki, great backup catcher there. So that's a, that's a no-brainer. Um, the only thing I'd quibble with is... Uh, you know who to who to DFA or send down, and and to me, um, right now looking at how we have the bullpen set up, you know, I don't see any use for Austin Bryce at this point. I I am very certain that we don't need the extra bullpen arm at this point, and we certainly don't need Austin Bryce as an extra bullpen. Like we can no. we can have somebody else pitch those mop up innings at this point i've seen enough of bryce to realize that like yeah he might be a spin rate darling with his fastball but uh he has a hideous delivery and is constantly out of whack with it and is wild often so i just i see zero need 
for him. Um, Josh Taylor, I think we've kind of seen coming around a little bit. And, you know, if he doesn't, you know, we have we have the options there. We have a couple options for Josh Taylor so we could explore and, and send him down or send Phillips Valdez down or, or something like that. There's a lot of other places where you can go. I just think Bryce's time has kind of run out, and I'm not going to lose any sleep over DFAing him um, because, you know, he, he's he's not a positive at all. The Josh Taylor gambit on Sunday actually worked out, uh, bringing him in in a key situation to the game. So, you know, I, I think you got to keep him on the roster at this point. Yeah. Yeah, where are you on Phillips Valdez? Um... Not necessary <laughs> right now. It's, you know, it, it feels like we have two guys on this team, Phillips Valdez and uh, Austin Bryce, who are squarely pitching in mop-up roles at this point. And um, his numbers you know, are I, significantly better, though. I mean, he's got a 2.93 ERA. Uh, yes. His FIP and XFIP are even lower. But he's always pitching in, in games, it feels like, when it's kind of out of hand. You know, it it just shows to me what kind of Cora thinks about him. And he also had that weird, really long layoff between pitching where he pitched on the 10th and then he didn't pitch till the 15th. You know, it was kind of kind of a long layoff. And then he had another long layoff uh, that he didn't pitch from the 24th all the way to May 6th. And people were like, well, what the hell's going on here? Um, so I. I mean, if you're if you're going to use a guy that sparingly and in such low leverage situations, what's the point? You know. Yeah, to me, I think. I mean, I'm 100 with you on Bryce. Toss him, Taylor and Valdez. I could kind of go either way, but I mean, you make a pretty good point that they brought Taylor in in a high leverage situation because he had a, a stretch where he's been really good, uh, and he wasn't the one that blew it. So, you know, it worked out. And if they're not going to use Valdez, basically what I'm getting at is two of those three, get rid of them and bring up Pizardo. Oh, I'm here for it, man. I'm I'm very here for the Eduard Pizardo uh, experience. You know, he's one of the few uh, relievers down at, at AAA uh, who are on the 40-man roster, Colton Brewer and Brandon Brennan being the other two. Um and he's actually thrown pretty well. I mean, he's only thrown three innings so far, or a little less than three innings down at AAA. But, you know, he looked good when he came up here and threw three innings. So, I don't know. I'm confident in Bizarro's stuff. I think that he's a better option than either either Valdez or Bryce, and quite possibly a better option even than Taylor at this point. Yeah, I would say two of those three down or get rid of. Um, Chavis probably goes down, and then the bench is the four-man bench we talked about. And then I'm not convinced Danny Santana is any good. Uh, we talked about him on a pod recently. I don't remember which one it was, uh, but really he had one really good year, and the other years he's been trash. So yep. I'm not I'm not convinced that um, you know what he was in 2019. I guess he had some injury issues last year, uh, but I don't know how much of his 2019 self he'll really he really is. Uh, but give him a chance. If he sucks, then get rid of him and then bring Javis back up. All right, so let's go with the four-man bench right now with Danny Santana, Christian Arroyo, Ploiecki, and Marwin, once everybody's healthy, DFAing Bryce, uh, and sending down Phillips Valdez. Okay, so now we have Eduard Brizardo up instead of Phillips Valdez with that four-man bench. Things are looking pretty good. How long do you give Danny Santana to see what he is before you let him go and bring up Mr. Jaron Durant, who is currently slashing 283, 389, 609 at AAA Worcester with four home runs, three stolen bases, and a 159 WRC+. plus. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess it wouldn't be bringing Chavis back. It'd be Durant. <laughs> um. I mean, not very long because I don't think Danny Santana is. Uh, well, I guess it depends. Um, but you also don't have to get rid of Danny Santana. You can option Franchi instead. 
Right. Well, that that was actually kind of what I was leaning towards. Like, I don't know if Santana is an everyday player, but he also can play every single position on the diamond. Right. Um, and so he would be a great fourth outfielder or fifth outfielder, fifth infielder, <laughs> whatever, uh, whatever role you want. If he's not going to be his like 2019 self and be an everyday player, um, if he can just be serviceable, which it shouldn't take much to be more serviceable than Franchi is right now. And if Franchi needs to get some confidence back, then yeah, option Franchi, keep Santana on the bench and bring Duran up. I would say, I mean, I've been ready for you, both you and I have been ready for Duran for a while. Yeah. Um, I think we both wanted him to break camp. And so I would have a short leash because I don't think you can just let Duran stew at a, a 158 WRC plus for an extended period of time. Like, you gotta. That, that's gotta. He's gotta be up there. Yeah, and I mean, a couple weeks, Duran's not without his his issues. Like he's he's excelling at AAA. It's fair to say he's excelling at AAA. Yeah. But the one thing I think that you know you could point to is just the fact that he is striking out a little bit more than maybe the team wants him to. And uh, you know, maybe, maybe, just maybe. There are some things that he can work on. Certainly defensively, there are some things. And with him, that's not, you know, this is not the the Jared Kelnick. He needs to work on his defensive uh, things. There really are some issues with his reads. Uh, and he is striking out at a 27.8% clip uh, at AAA right now, albeit he's walking more than ever too, 14.8%. So that's great news. Uh they probably want to see him get that number of strikeouts down a little bit before he comes up. So I'm, I'm thinking, like, at the very most, Jaron Duran has a month left down there. I, I can't see them yeah. holding him up much longer than that, unless something goes wrong or he struggles mightily. Unless there's a massive turnaround with the outfielders they have, but I don't foresee that. Right? Like, how good would Franchi have to be? To prevent Duran coming up in a month, like he'd have to catch fire. He he'd have to have Duran's line. <laughs> yeah, right. That was I mean the thing that gives me hope. I mean you're right about the strikeouts, but um, so Cora was asked about Duran and, and he was like he needs a little bit more work. The inside fastball is kind of getting him, and then Duran's response to that, I believe it was literally a day later, uh, was to take an inside fastball and park it 440 feet away from him. Yeah, so, that was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So whatever he was he was doing uh, seems to be working. Well, I hope Cora will continue to point out his flaws so he can go <laughs> ahead and address yeah. those immediately. Uh, yeah, that's pretty nice. So it is worth mentioning too. You know, discussing all this roster stuff, the roster could look quite differently by the time June rolls around. You know, when all these things that we just mentioned happen and Jaron Durant potentially forces his way into the lineup. It's not outside the realm of possibility that Tristan Casas, who you know we've been talking about for so long now, it seems like, uh, could potentially put himself in this mix at some point later in the year, looking way later. He's off to an absolutely torrid start at uh, Portland, especially over the last few games. He's been really on fire. His line is 341, 383, 568 with three home runs and a 158 WRC+. I mean, I guess my first question to you, Keaton, is when do they decide that, you know, he's he's handling Portland to the degree that he needs to and push him up to Worcester? Yeah, I think the end of June would probably be the soonest. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he's off to a super hot start, but this is his first taste of the upper minors. Right. Um, it needs a chance to adjust to him. I mean, and then if it doesn't, then, yeah, it's too easy. Move him up. <laughs> right. Uh, I'm assuming it'll it will adjust. Uh, and he'll have to tweak things a bit. Um, but then again, I mean, there's a real chance, like, beginning of September, he could be in Boston. If he just continues this pace at both Double um, A and Triple A. And the Red Sox have shown, um, particularly with their hitting prospects, that they'll be aggressive. And guys like um, Devers only played, like, 40 games uh, above a ball before he was in Boston. Moncada was like 12. Benintendi was like 30. So, I mean, if they're performing, they even have, uh, you know, demonstrated the willingness to skip AAA altogether with guys. Yeah. And just send them straight to Boston. So, 
not out of the realm of possibility there. I guess I suppose the other piece of it is what Talbuck is looking like, and over his last ten games, Talbuck has been significantly better. Yeah, uh, in like three hundred three homers, eleven RBIs. So he's he's turned it around, um, and he's he's just making some real solid contact, which is really nice to see. So I think it's it's kind of a combo if he continues this pace. Probably a month and a half could be in Worcester, and then again maybe a month and a half if he continues that at AAA, they could give him a shot in September. Wouldn't shock me if that yeah. was the case, but I think it's still less likely, and probably more likely it's like an early 2022. Yeah, I'm so confident in this guy's bat. I, I kind of agree with you on the timeline. You know, especially with it being so clogged at DH and first base right now, it just, unless they made like a trade, you know, some type of substantial trade, which opened up a spot for him. Uh, I mean, it doesn't seem like you would trade JD in a year where you're battling for first place in the division. Um, So that doesn't seem quite likely. I I think the guy who would have to be traded and or, or, well, I would say traded or struggling um, because if, if Dahlbeck is doing well, um, you know, they could potentially shop him. Um, but if he's struggling, I mean, I think that he could be replaced by Casas if Casas goes up to Worcester and just destroys the baseball. So um, we'll see. It's, it's definitely a possibility at this point. Um, but I am so sold on this kid as the next star of the Red Sox. I think he's going to be like... More more in line with the Xander Bogey, uh, uh, Bogertz, uh, I should say, Devers-type uh, homegrown guy than, you know, a role player. I think he's going to be a star. I completely agree. So you, you brought up Sadie Martinez. I was also going to bring him up because uh, something that could affect Costa's timeline is Sadie Martinez is having an MVP-like season. Does he opt out of the last year of his deal? He could. It, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what he would try and do. I don't know because the financial situation is so uncertain, especially going into what? I mean, isn't this the last year of the CBA? Uh, yeah, that too. Yeah. So, like, what do you do? Do you take your money or do you try and figure out what the next financial landscape in baseball is going to look like? You know, that could be kind of scary too especially for a guy who's a DH. And 34 years old is what he'll be for next season, his age 34 season. I think that would be... I mean, so he's guaranteed one year $20 million. I suppose if he thinks that he can lock down like a four-year deal from some other AL club, um, that's in the range of like 60 to 80, he might take that. Yeah, he's got to. Yeah. But I don't know if... Like, I don't think he's going to get something similar to what he just signed, which is $21 million, 20-something, $22 million. Mm-hmm. Yeah, $22 million a year. I don't think he's going to find that AAV as free agent, as a 34-year-old DH. Yeah. So I, I think, think so. I think yeah, it depends on you know how he feels about or his agent feels about what a new CBA could look like, mm-hmm. uh, and if somebody's potentially willing to go like four years to his age thirty eight season. But if, I mean, if if he has if he's in like the top five for the MVP, I'm sure someone would give him some kind of deal, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think so. You have teams like. You know, the Angels, uh, who are getting money off the books. I mean, this was the last year very publicly of Albert Pujols' deal out there. And I, I don't think Justin Upton has long left. And, you know, they, they need to continue to add to that team. Uh, it would kind of clog things up unless Shohei Otani ended up playing more outfield. So maybe that's an unlikely situation. But you have other clubs who are getting good, like... Um, you know, the Seattle Mariners or maybe Texas wants to add to that team, you know, that is having trouble scoring. So, I don't know. There seems to be more options than maybe 
there were for him last time he was looking, and especially more options than a guy coming off the worst season of his career. It's it's hard to think that JD is going to end this season and be like, yeah, you know what, I'll probably be in a better position to get a long-term deal after this next year. I don't think so. I think he knows what happened to him before, and like you said, performing at this level, he's probably going to be looking for that cash. So that could really free up that spot right away. Yeah, I, I think if he has a good season, he probably might, because I don't know if, if he would want to risk having a poor 2022. Right. And then not be in a situation to sign, like, a four-year deal somewhere else. Yeah. So yeah. I think if he's going to continue on this pace, then, yeah, that, that spot might be open for Casas or Dahlbeck. Someone, basically the roster spot would be open for Casas starting 2022 in the beginning. Yeah. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yep, I totally agree. Um, And that might give you an opportunity to play guys like Devers at at DH a little bit more, too, if you want to rotate, uh, you know, um, Dahlbeck in at third base, too. So all sorts of different things. But it's nice to see um, Bobby Dahlbeck get it going lately as well. That's been good. Um, So let's talk about where the Red Sox sit right now. We've kind of been checking in every time we have this show about where they remain, but they have a huge series coming up. And this is a quote from Alex Spears' article today. He says the Red Sox remain in an enviable spot in first place in the AL East after more than a quarter of the season with a game and a half advantage over the Blue Jays heading into the season series or into the series between the two teams uh, starting on Tuesday. Um, So this is a huge series for the Red Sox, but in that same article, he also points out that their bullpen shortcomings uh, this month have been pretty apparent. Relievers have been charged with six losses in May, most in MLB, and five blown saves, tied for second most. Um, There's no doubt the bullpen is going to have to be on its game uh, to keep this up. And also, you know, Bloom is going to have to look into improving this unit, whether it's just the moves we talked about internally bringing up Bizarro, um, but facing the offenses that they're going to be going against. And we kind of highlighted what the schedule looks like moving forward. It doesn't really lighten up after the Blue Jays. You've got the Phillies offense, which is good. And then you've got, you know, it seems like every team on the schedule can hit. Um, this bullpen is going to continue to be tested. I haven't had a single game against the Yankees yet. Yeah. That's big. What's in wild this, is uh, this: we've thought that this division would be pretty competitive. And then it started off, uh, basically, <laughs> everybody started off slow except the Red Sox. Jumped out to a nice little lead here. Um, but since then, the Red Sox have come back down to earth, and the other three teams have taken off. And if the Red Sox get swept by the Blue Jays, there's a real possibility that they find themselves in fourth place in the division. That's crazy. It's crazy that that could happen, but you're right. I mean, the Blue Jays are a game and a half back. Yankees are two back, and the Rays are two back. It's it's a stacked division. This division's sick. Yeah, it is. And the bullpen, we were worried about it coming into the year. It started off really hot. Barnes has been tremendous, but everybody else has been pretty inconsistent. Uh, I've been really worried about Ottavino and injuries, particularly the way that they've two, those two have looked lately. Yeah, I mean, particularly Ottavino with the walks. I mean, they had to bring in Barnes to bail him out for a five-out save against the Angels, and then it unfortunately fell inches short. Um, but even, I mean, he made the one mistake on the inside fastball to Otani, but outside of that one pitch, still looked brilliant. 
Yeah, I'm not worried about Barnes. Yeah. But it's everything else, and I think bringing up Bizarro has to be a no-brainer at this point because you're trying to find guys to bridge the gap to Barnes and you don't feel great about the options you have. Whitlock has been really good, but when he's been given high-leverage situations, he's stumbled a bit. Yeah. So I don't know if he just needs to work through that or if it's just not necessarily the role for him. But I still feel pretty positive when he goes out there. Um, you're right, Andres is coming back down to earth. I mean, everybody else is just kind of a jumble. Uh, or they're like not using Valdez. Uh, Darwin's and Hernandez looks like a stud, um, but is wildly Sometimes. inconsistent. Right. <laughs> he had that stretch of it's like nine innings where he struck out like 24 dudes, <laughs> some ridiculous amount. Yeah. Uh, and then his next outing, like walks bases loaded and then doesn't even get through a third of an inning. So he needs to be wildly more consistent. Um, which would be a nice little uptick for this bullpen here, but I don't see that happening like with a snap of your finger. So, I mean, we talked about um, wanting them to add like two high leverage relievers in the off season, and they really only added Ottavino. Yeah, um, who's been borderline, right, with his control issues, and we knew he was going to have control issues, but they've been a little bit worse than I thought they'd be. Same. Yeah, and I think Bizarro could be one of those. Um, so I, I, that's why I think it's a no-brainer. He needs to be up here in some form or fashion very soon. And then the, the other thing is I think, I think they need to go outside of the organization to add another high-leverage reliever somewhere. Uh, and hopefully, like, soon they could kind of get ahead of the – like, I don't think they – division's too tough for them to wait on it. Right. Um, it's They clearly need to make a change. I don't know – necessarily who they could go to um but like texas sucks and ian kennedy is pretty good yeah yeah he is um i agree with you on the fact that they need to add to this pen at some point i think you you try the internal stuff right away and see if some of these guys get back on track the other thing um you know that i want to mention here is just that i think they need to utilize hirakazu sawamura a little bit more um, yeah. He hasn't pitched as much as I'd like him to. He's only pitched four times so far in May. And I don't know you know, what's going on with that. His last appearance on the 11th, he was used for two innings and got four strikeouts and didn't allow any runs. So he looked really good there. But his stuff to me is stuff that plays in a late inning role. You know, the, the stuff is filthy um, when it's on. And I think that he needs to continue to get those spots to maintain confidence. Uh, and I think that he could be one of those solutions. In fact, you know, I, I feel every bit is confident in him just from a pure baseball ability standpoint, as I do in a guy like Ottavino. I think he's in that second tier of guy in terms of skill level. Yeah. And you and I both talked about before the season, like we hoped that Sauramora was going to be used like that. Cause we thought that he could be a guy in that, that role. Um, but then Cora was asked about it, and he said right away that he was not going to do that with Saramora, um, bringing him over to the United States and then immediately putting him in those higher leverage situations. But I think, like you said, we've seen enough now that he can handle himself in those situations, and the Red Sox need, need, need people to bridge to Barnes and hold small leads. So I think you have to start turning to him more often. Yeah, And I think... It has to like like you like you said it has to be immediate and you work working with the internal options so like right away start turning to Saramora maybe give Bizarro a chance and then kind of reassess but um, going into this stretch of, against a bunch of teams um, they have the I haven't looked beyond the Philly series, but when we looked at like the whole stretch, they had like an entire month of like all AL East teams, didn't they? I believe so. They had a lot of division games coming up, but I mean, it's it's tough to look past the the sea of tough righties that they're going to be facing in this upcoming yeah. Toronto series with Simeon and Bo and Vlad and Teoscar and even Gritchick's having a season. It's just yeah. It's insane. They're, they're going to need all these guys to be on point. Yeah. They're right-handers especially. By the time they get into that, it's like the first Yankees series. It's June 4th, and then it's just like a rash of divisional games. Yeah. 
you have to have it figured out by that series. Yep, I totally agree. And, and you know what? Next week on our show, we'll, we'll start putting together uh, a list of some potential trade candidates to supplement this bullpen. It, feel, it felt a little early to start on that in mid-May right now, but I think that, you know, you're right, Keaton. I think this is something that if they're going to address, they need to address sooner rather than later because, you know, with this start, they've they've gotten themselves into a good position. But um, you if know, they wait to closer to the trade coming. deadline, because they have all these games against the division, they could be buried by the time they get there. Yep. <laughs> so yep. That, that's why it needs to be sooner. Yeah, I totally agree. Absolutely. <laughs> um, they still are in a good position, though. I mean, they, they have the best run differential in the, the uh, division. Uh, right now in second, or or I should say third best uh, run differential in the American League. So still in a very good position there. Um, but yeah, they they need to they need to fix this bullpen. That's the thing I'm most worried about is the bullpen in the bottom of the lineup. The good news here is that, you know, as we mentioned, usage, bringing up Bizarro and bringing up Jaron Duran uh, could potentially solve a lot of the issues that you have just internally. So does Jaron Duran bat lead off? Oh man, I think so, right? He's so fast. He's so good. I think so. I don't think Cora will do it right away because it would put a lot of pressure on him, but I think you have to soon. Like week into the the career, you gotta put him up there. Maybe yeah. two weeks. I mean Duran at the top. And then Verdugo, Martinez, Bogarts, Devers. I mean, that's electric. That's runs right there. Yeah, that's literally runs. Like, <laughs> so many runners. Even Christian Vasquez. Yeah. And then yes. you know you mentioned the bottom of the lineup. Um, there's been a few games recently. The bottom of the lineup has actually carried the carried the offense. Well, yeah, Hunter's been correct. delivered wins. So yeah. I'm not. I think. I mean, we knew what the bottom of the lineup was going to be. It was really going to be feast or famine. There was times where they were going to struggle. It just sucked because right off the bat, they were all struggling together. Yeah. <laughs> Which made it look a little worse. Uh, but yeah, like you said, Renfro's coming around. Dawbuck's coming around. Tough little lineup we got in Boston. I love Renfro. Same. <laughs> you you really... Uh... I get it. I get it now, what you're into with Renfro. That dude has a cannon. Yeah. Did you see Chavis talking about his throws? No. Oh, my God. Watch that video. Chavis is like like a fan. He actually sounds like one of us talking about uh, how accurate uh, Renfro's throws were and how effortless they look. You got to look up the soundbite on, uh, on Michael Chavis there. If anybody out there hasn't seen that, it is hilarious it is peak chavis in terms of his just electric personality and it's funny as hell that's great yep all right so keaton i want to uh talk about one more thing before we end up getting to our listener questions here uh so i mentioned i was at the the game on saturday and um you know i saw martin perez start so naturally i was there repping uh the perez day shirt uh, the Zach fan of the podcast uh, sent to all of us, um, and I saw Martin Perez's best start of the year. Uh, he pitched six innings against the Angels, only allowed three hits, uh, four walks, which was a little bit you know high for him. Five strikeouts, but the important piece here was zero earned runs um, over his last four starts. Keaton twenty two point one innings pitched, one point six one ERA with 22 strikeouts. So he's striking out a batter per inning or a tiny, tiny touch under uh, during that time. Martin Perez looks awesome right now. And he's been one of the stabilizing forces of this rotation all year. Um, I'm extremely encouraged by what I've seen from him. He's only had one start this year where he's given up four or more, and that was just a four-run start. So... I'm curious to see where you are on Martin Perez and sort of I'd be curious to see where you rank him in your trust levels in this rotation right now. Um, I'm still not as excited about him as you are, mm-hmm. but I know he's your boy. He but is. I feel pretty confident with him going out there. Uh, I mean, you mentioned the strikeouts. He also had four walks. 
in his latest. Yep. Um, but the majority of his starts, he's gone five innings, given up two runs, and that's that's kind of what you expect from him, right? That'll it's work. just really funny to see how sometimes he does it with um, seven strikeouts, no walks, or three strikeouts and four walks, or five strikeouts and four walks. It's just like the array. It's like either, however he's pitching, he somehow comes out to five innings, two runs. <laughs> um, which, when you're looking at a fourth, fifth starter, I mean, that's actually really good for yeah. the guys at the bottom of the rotation. And um, you mentioned that he only has one win, and I was initially thinking that that wasn't all that surprising. But then the more I thought about it, I was like, actually, I mean, if he's handing over the bullpen – uh, having only given up two runs, the offense should score more than that. <laughs> so it actually is kind of surprising yeah. that he does only have the one win. Um, but I, I think I'm really comfortable with him being in the role, delivering the results that he is. I'm not expecting uh, a streak like this to continue for an extensive period of time, but I don't. I also don't expect him to implode. Right. You know? So I think um, five innings, two runs is a pretty solid start. Do you right now? So I'm gonna just I'm gonna take some some guesses here. You're telling me if I'm right. Uh, you trust Nate Eovaldi more than him? Yes. Yes. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez. Yes. Gary Richards. Yes. Of course. Nick Pavetta. No. Okay. I'm so still now... not there with Pavetta. It's it's <laughs> he's playing with fire, and I, I've we actually talked about this on the precap with Shelley. It's great what he's doing, but all of his like, it was really nice. His last start gave me a little bit more hope because he didn't walk anybody. Right. And walks had never been a really significant part of his game until this year. He somehow managed to completely limit the damage from him, but he was walking just an ass ton of people, <laughs> and just. Not getting hurt by it, which felt like he was really playing with fire given the amount of contact and his history for uh, home run fly ball rates in like the 20s. So I was encouraged by the last start. If he can string a few of those where it's like zero, one walks together, then I'll start to believe a little bit more. But I still feel like he's playing with fire. Well, I mean, I'm 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 convinced at this point that uh, our boy Pavetta has stolen Jacob DeGrom's life force since that start. <laughs> so since that start, he is uh, he's pitched 22 innings, uh, and he has a 2.86 ERA with 24 strikeouts and just eight walks. So he's he's dropped his walk rate substantially yeah. since that Mets start, and yeah. he's upped his K rate. The dude. So the, it's it's just funny though, because like. You know, looking at it, and I asked you your confidence level in these these guys, and we went through, and the two guys you have lowest confidence in, Pavetta and Perez, are the two guys with the best ERAs on the team right now. It's just, it's kind of funny how it's all shaking out. Well, yeah. I also, I'm, I, I really hesitated on Ivaldi because he's just wildly inconsistent. And... Yeah. The strikeouts and locks are great, but... Yeah, the results just aren't. Yeah. And, like... I mean, not that there's a correlation between fantasy and real-life baseball, but uh, I was in a close matchup on Sunday, and I benched Evaldi because I just had a bad feeling. Like, I couldn't trust him. I thought he was going to wreck my ratios. And it turns out if I had played him, he would have wrecked my ratios. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I, I don't think he's like a... Oh yeah, we're getting six great innings out of this guy, but I feel like that with Eduardo Rodriguez and uh, Garrett Richards. Yeah, yeah. I I think it's clear that uh, Eduardo Rodriguez is probably. I, I would say Eduardo Rodriguez and Garrett Richards have the highest ceiling on the team uh, in terms of their stuff when they're on. We've obviously seen Garrett Richards be a very different pitcher over his last four outings as well. It seems like, you know, New York Mets dumped a lot of magic on the Red Sox starters there. So that was cool. Um, but, you know, you look at the underlying numbers at Nate Eovaldi and it just looks like he should be better. I mean, in terms of barrels, he's right there. The 
among the best on in this rotation. Uh, 4.1% barrel rate. The only person better than him in this rotation is Garrett Richards with a 4%. Uh, he has the lowest hard hit percentage, even lower than Martin Perez. Lowest walk rate, um, you know, kind of a mid-pack K percentage, but, you know, his K minus walk rate is the best on, on the staff as well. It just seems like the there's just one big hit every outing for him that yeah. screws it up lately. Yeah, and Telly and I, before, his, before the start against the Angels, talked about him on the precap and that his – because he was just coming off of a really strong start after kind of struggling a bit. Yeah. But the the starts where he struggles are actually the starts where, you mentioned, like his stat line looks great, where he goes like six innings, has eight, nine strikeouts, one walk. Uh, but he's two in the strike zone, so he racks up all of those strikeouts, but also gives up eight hits and five runs. Hmm. And it's the games where he actually like will labor-ish through like five, six innings, have uh, – you know, four or five strikeouts, still only like one walk. But those are the games where he won't give up any runs. It's because he he's one of those guys, it's rare, where if you pitch to contact, you won't get burned. But he can do that. Like yeah. He can work around the edges. He can pitch to contact, and he, he won't get burned. It'll Like the corner uh, infield and outfield will get some work, but they'll get the outs, and he won't be like hurt. And then he's in the strike zone too often, racking up strikeouts, and then – there's two hits, you know, back-to-back bombs, and the game's over. Yeah, the, the, he needs to utilize that elite command that he has a little bit yeah. better and be okay not racking up those Ks. I agree. I think that's when when we see the best version of Evaldi for sure. All right, well, uh, let's get to a couple questions here before we wrap things up. We got one question from Sox Junkie. He says, how do we stop the Yankees from acquiring John Means? Well, I think the solution would be to acquire John Means. <laughs> yeah, I think that would work. I uh, love me some John Means. He's nasty, so that'd be good. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I I think the Yankees will probably look to add to that starting rotation because it hasn't been quite as good as they were, were hoping. But also the cost for someone like John's, John Means would presumer, presumably be pretty high. Um, so I'm not sure what that would actually look like. But Shelly uh, came back with her own question, Shelly Verstraight, our own Shelly. Uh, she says, more importantly, how do we stop the Yankees from acquiring Max Scherzer? Uh, and I agree with her. Uh, that's the scarier one because he doesn't have long left on his deal, and he's pitching like a Cy Young candidate this year. Yeah, I think the way you do it is you convince, or like, convince the Yankees that anybody that has the two eye colors is Max Scherzer, and they just... <laughs> Sign the wrong person. <laughs> uh, well, you know what would be sweet? Red Sox just go out and acquire Max Scherzer and then sign him to an extension, and then everything's perfect. Agreed. I would love that. I want Max on this team so bad. That would be amazing. I would agree um, with that. You'd have to get a Washington to pay a lot of that salary, though. Yeah. Yeah, he probably Is would. he in the last year? Oh, wow. Hey, he might that. be. The, yeah. the very first name... That popped up on Yield's bow track was uh, Max Scherzer. It's hmm. like they knew we were talking about him. Uh, he is. He is in the last yeah. year of his deal. Okay. He has that weird deferred deal, though. So his money actually isn't as high as it seems. Correct. He is owed purposes. $15 million a year for the next seven years. But uh, that is solely in the hands of Washington and the Red Sox or whoever he would be traded to would not pick that up. Hmm. Interesting. Very intriguing. Uh, our final question of the day comes from Michelle B. And she says, is Manny Machado an asshole? You know, I don't think he is, which oh, might wow. be a controversial take. Yeah, that is. Um, he, I mean, he ended Pedroia's career. I don't think you can argue with that. He slid in late and then dug his cleats into his knee, which was pretty avoidable. Yeah. Um, however, he is not the only person to slide late into second base in Major League Baseball. It happens all too frequently. Uh, but this play was none of that. I mean, the only option he had was to go down, and he didn't run out of the baseline. He stayed right in his line and just went down. And, I mean, it's it's hard for a fielder to tag 
going down and then get up and throw to first. Like every other situation, there was a double play, except yeah. if he went down and he broke up the double play. So I, I don't, I can't really blame him for that one. I think this one was fine. Manny Machado's an asshole. Yeah. Yeah. You remember, it was not long ago at all that people wanted to trade Rafael Devers plus for Machado when he wanted out of Baltimore. You remember that? Mm, yeah, I didn't <laughs> like that. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, man. I, you know, I watched the play um, that I think Michelle is referencing. Uh, I didn't like it. It His feet were too high, I thought. Um, it always seems like he's trying to spike somebody. Um, and there's been enough instances, especially early in his career when he would like really, you know, kind of chirp at guys too. And there was the whole thing with the Oakland A's where he was, I can't remember who he was chirping at on the A's, but somebody on the A's wanted to kill him. Maybe it was Josh Donaldson when he was with the A's. Um, but there's, there's just been too many guys around baseball who have had an issue with Manny Machado for me to think like, you know, it's everybody else's issue, and Manny is just this innocent guy. Plus, like, fuck this guy. He he ended Pedroia's career. Like, <laughs> that's it. That's it. That's enough for me. Okay? I didn't get to watch Pedroia for a couple more years because of Manny Machado. He robbed Pedroia of a chance to become unequivocally the greatest second baseman in Red Sox history. I still think he is, but he he literally stole that from him. So, you know what? I really hate Manny Machado. That's fair. All right. What a way to end the podcast. Yeah. Um, all right. We appreciate you joining us tonight uh, for this edition of the show, wherever you're listening to us. Uh, it is tonight where we are, um, but you are probably listening to us during the day. Uh, we appreciate you. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. We do appreciate it. And tune into the rest of our podcasts on this network as well. We have the Precap Podcast with yours truly, Keaton DeRocher, over here, uh, and uh, Shelly Verstraight. We also have the Over the Monster Podcast with Matt Collins and Brian Joyner. And finally, uh, Shelly is on another wonderful podcast with Bob Osgood, the Red Sox On Deck Prospect Podcast. So check all those out, and we'll be with you again at this same time next week. Thanks for joining us. 